This is Song. And this is Sarah. And this is Ething Ethical, where we try to make sense of all of the choices facing consumers every day. So, Amazon. <laughs> why are we even talking about this today? Why why is it such an important topic for us? Um honestly, because I feel like in the last five years. 10 years, really, I was reflecting on the fact that I used to sell and buy textbooks on Amazon in like 2009. Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. And I honestly forgot it was the same company. All I used it for in like 2009 to 2011 ish era. And I literally forgot it was the same company. And so wow. I think the fact that like that was its history. And now, what does what part of our lives does Amazon not touch or or couldn't touch, right? Yeah, it's pretty wild. What is the most ridiculous purchase on Amazon that you've made in recent weeks or months? I mean, so I feel like you know, transparency of our own consumption is like a good part of what we talk about here. So I have been a prime member of Amazon since. 2015 when I moved to Washington DC and at the time my main reason for that um or the thing that like pushed me as a you know entry level government worker not making a lot of money um to spend the money to 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 be an Amazon Prime member was I I lived kind of far from like a grocery store or like a, a any kind of big box store, kind of any stores really. I, I lived in a really um, suburban area of Washington D.C., and I realized I needed to buy like house products on Amazon um, because it was really difficult to get them to my house. So, toilet paper and paper towels or laundry soap or canned goods, like things that are heavy and hard to get back to your house if you don't have a car. I'm trying to think, um, I'm trying to think I should probably, honestly, I should just like open up my Amazon, <laughs> like, <laughs> like recent purchases and be like, all right, what like really was the most ridiculous yeah. recent purchase? I also, I became a Amazon Prime member actually back in 2010. So I think this oh. is probably in sort of the early years yeah. This is right when I moved back from Seoul um, and I started law school and I remember moved into school and they had that like great prime membership for students deal and everyone was just like just starting to get on it. I guess it was like it was a time I think 2010 was a, it was a time of change. So like Amazon Prime was becoming a new thing and they were getting students hooked through this like student membership. But that's I remember it was also when um what was that one dating website? Okay, Cupid was sort of first. Exactly right. It was like right around that same time. Now that I'm thinking about it, side note. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I <laughs> so I found the most ridiculous thing that I've ordered recently, and like um, I wouldn't say I'm proud of this, but this is just kind of funny. I bought Sun In hair lightener. 
Um, oh, so I am like a auburny reddish brown. And when I was young, I had very, very blonde hair. And I definitely have hair that like, if I'm out in the sun in the summer, it gets like blondish gold highlights. And that's just a harder thing to come by in your 30s than it was in your, you know, early teens or mm -hmm. like as a kid. And I actually checked with like my hairstylist before doing this. I was like, I don't want to dye my hair. I've like never really dyed it. And it's not that I want it different colors. I just kind of miss that like summery blonde highlights. And she was like, you should buy sudden. And I was like, I thought that was not something that a hairstylist would tell me. She's like, you have no you know, treatment to your hair. Like it'll totally work. So that's kind of the most ridiculous thing that I've bought in the last six months is oh, um, sun in hair lightener. <laughs> what about you? That is so fun. Mine was... Um, my biggest sort of shift in the past few weeks, few months was, you know, me coming out to Korea. And so before I got on the plane, um, my parents were sending me links to things to buy to prepare for my flight over from JFK. They were like, you have to make sure that you are completely covered from head to toe. And so they were sending me links for disposable gloves and links for like alcohol wipes and links for like, uh, you know, those face shields that cover like that, that plastic shield over your entire face. Oh yeah. Um, and my mom sent me this almost like disposable hazmat suit looking thing that just like <laughs> oh goes completely gosh. over your entire entire outfit and you're just like covered from head to toe and I was like mom I'm sorry this is like taking it one step too far <laughs> and so of all of those things I did actually walk to a pharmacy and buy alcohol wipes and um and disposable gloves you know to put them at ease but I did purchase one of those those like medical grade face shield things for my flight over <laughs> oh my gosh wow so, so I feel like because we're talking about the last six months and how consumption's changed, one thing that I've noticed has changed, and maybe I don't feel as much this way as I did maybe four or so months ago, but because all of a sudden all of our supply chains were affected, everyone, including Amazon, was delay not delaying, but like could no longer promise like one day delivery. And I was suddenly like very okay with it before one day delivery was so necessary, right? That's, I mean, one of, that's kind of one of the many things that Amazon has brought is this yeah. low cost, really consistent, um, guaranteed one, maybe two day delivery. And they weren't doing that anymore. And yeah, I was just very okay with it which I thought was a, actually a very cool shift in like expectations. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's lasted or that it will last, but I did think that was really interesting. Yeah, I was just going to say it, I feel like it kind of showed just how resilient our expectations are because I think similarly for me, in general, just like in life, I've become much more okay and like happy with like this slower pace of life that was right that used to be um, even, you know, five, 10 years ago, I feel like everything has slowed down and everyone is just sort of enjoying the slowness and the appreciating just like things that are local more and, and all of these things. But then as soon as they started having quicker deliveries again, like I was also kind of surprised at myself that 
yeah, how I was, my expectations like shifted back so quickly. It just goes to show (laughs) how quickly we are to forget the good and the bad. Um, Did you, were you a frequent Whole Foods shopper, like back when you lived near or like where you could access a Whole Foods? Yes. In when I lived in New York City, I probably, you know, two or three times a week, I would go to Whole Foods, whether it's like to pick up something for lunch or to do my groceries on my way home. So definitely, I was a very frequent shopper. (laughs) Yeah. Did you notice any price changes when Amazon bought Whole Foods? I did not, if I'm completely honest with you. Yeah. Kind Um, of same. I was expecting it to be better uh, or different, but... Yeah, I was just really curious because similarly, I was like, oh okay, Amazon bought it, like their whole thing is is low cost for what you're getting and great service. And I, I really didn't see any like price change. Yeah. For me, it's just, I actually, I, I don't think I think about that when I walk into a Whole Foods, mm. but I think I should, I guess I should. Yeah, right? How connected, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's why I brought it up because I think that like in our minds, that's the point. Like Amazon touches so many things. I would pro like today, if I were to give up purchasing, I think I would be more likely to give up purchasing things from Amazon than I would watching original content on Amazon prime, which I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that just seems almost like a completely different business. Literally. This is why we're talking about it. Like it touches everything, everywhere we shop, everything we consume Amazon could or wants to have something to do with it. Right. So in terms of just like their sheer scale, they had 285 or 280.5 billion dollars in revenues in 2019. Recently they were like the second, you know, American company to reach market cap of 1 trillion dollars, like what? Right. And they have almost 800,000 full and part time employees, which is more people than the city of Washington, D.C. <laughs> it's insane. It's, and if you compare that to, for example, Apple, right, who is the other one trillion plus dollar company, um, Apple only has 137,000 employees. But on the flip side, Walmart. Uh, I think is it's like the, our parents' generation's you know version of Amazon. I feel like they have 2.2 million employees worldwide, and so I think it's whoa, like, it's, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> oh my gosh, interesting, right? Yeah, and I guess it goes to show, yes, they are creating jobs, but what happens when you upend what traditional retail looks like and what that actually means for job creation. Um, I just thought that was kind of an interesting comparison. Yeah. Um, So I feel like I have to put on my MBA competitive strategy hat whenever I'm talking about Amazon, (laughs) because I'm obviously like, we're super interested in like their practices, which like we'll talk about, but I'm also, I'm very interested in like how they can do this, right? Like, how can this company grow so fast? I mean, this shouldn't be surprising to anyone, but like there is a case, there's a business school case about Amazon that like I certainly, you know, looked at at a class and I think a lot of people do. But but that being said, 
who do you think Amazon's biggest competitors are? So like, who are the companies that are like keeping Amazon competitive on on prices it, it, in any way? Like, again, they touch so many things. I think that Walmart is actually probably a really good example. Like they're different. They're trying to get you to come into their store to purchase those cheaper daily goods but they're also they've also really ramped up their their delivery right and they have grocery stores in walmarts now so you kind of look at that as potentially competing with whole foods but like who do you think that any are there any other businesses out there that are competing with amazon and pushing them um to have like cheaper prices i mean american companies probably not um but probably like alibaba yeah yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and so like, I was just thinking about how I feel like sometimes people make this argument that, well, we have to like Amazon has to succeed and we have to help them succeed because it's kind of like a global competitive advantage type of a thing. Mm. But I, yeah, and I don't know how I feel about that because I feel like in order for us to be globally competitive, I believe in this idea of a shared prosperity and to the extent that Amazon can actually positively benefit all of their stakeholders, I think it's one thing, but I mean, kind of going back to your point of like, well, how do they do this, right? Like how did they grow so big and like how, like how did they scale so quickly? And yeah, a strategically they're brilliant, right? Like the whole... <laughs> Yeah. You know, starting with the book thing and like hooking people with cheaper prime subscriptions and all of these things, like they were brilliant, like brilliant strategists. Yeah. But on top of that, it's like brilliant strategists who took advantage of, of workers, right? And pushing efficiency at the cost of safety and at the cost of well-being for people who are at the front lines. Well, and I feel like this is kind of like an overarching way to look at it. But I think that some of the points that we've sort of planned to talk about fit within this idea. But like, like you mentioned stakeholders, right? And this idea of like a shared prosperity. And if Amazon can be supportive of and like giving of, you know, wealth and prosperity to all their stakeholders, then that is this positive thing. But I, I think that we agree that that's not necessarily true. So like, who are some of the stakeholders that are not positively impacted by Amazon? And I think that like talking about workers is like a really good start. I think something that I've been kind of upset about recently is so you know how frontline workers and warehouses were getting sick, right? And, you know, they were getting sued. Amazon was getting sued by workers and like, you know, all of these things. There's like a lot of buzz. Um, and so they did this thing where they were like, it's like a one-time thank you from Amazon to all warehouse workers. Um, and I think it was something like $500, like a $500 bonus to all of, you know, all warehouse workers. It was this soundbite. But, you know, it turns out, like, obviously, it's not the full $500 that are going into the pockets of warehouse workers. I was, like, you know, reading on this, this, like, Instagram account of Amazon warehouse workers about how they basically, like, at most, people got, like, $350. And there were others who were getting, like, $148. So, yeah, at the same time, Amazon was doing so well during the pandemic that like, 
Jeff Bezos had his best day ever. I forgot what the number was. It was like, it was something ridiculous. $13 billion. His um, net worth went up by $13 billion in one day, right? Meanwhile, this like, thank you to your warehouse workers who are getting exposed to the virus is like a measly $150 bonus for some people. Like, it just kind of shook me a little bit. Yeah. So I feel like a really quick, not like clarification, because those obviously those numbers are right. But why is Bezos worth that? I think is like worth talking about. Obviously, like, you founded Amazon, that's worth a lot of money. But what does it mean? He's, you know, he's a CEO, like, how is he being paid? And how does that affect his net worth, I think is an important, is just like an important thing to understand, like what that scale really means. I mean, this is like, we yeah. could talk about this for like another podcast, but like this idea, <laughs> so many things, but the idea of like yeah. CEO pay, there's this idea, which I mean, fundamentally, I, I agree with this. So the case behind it. And the idea is CEOs are, are paid like an actual salary, like everyone is, and maybe like retirement or kind of like typical things that any management level white collar employee like might expect to get. But when you're looking at executives, the other really big piece is like stock in the company. And the goal, which this is the part that I, I actually do very much agree with, and I, I liked learning about this in school, was to align the interests of the CEO so that their decision making is neither um, risk taking nor risk avoiding. That when they're making decisions about like what market to open up into or what to price things or any other decision that a CEO might take, that their interests would be aligned to the growth and the success of the company in a way that means they're not going to like, you know, try to, again, like try to take too much risk or try to take no risk. The problem <laughs> is the scale that that's gotten to. Right. The scale that it's gone to where it's like a race to the bottom for workers and compensation for workers and pr providing protections for workers. And it's a race to the top for top executives, right? And so it's just like that growing disparity is what this just demonstrates. So recently, uh, there's like a bill on the floor of the California Senate right now that essentially prohibits warehouse workers from getting the time that they spend on bathroom breaks from counting into the time from which they have to like meet a certain quota because... Hmm. The quotas were so rigid that like warehouse workers were not able to go to the bathroom. Like they don't have time to wash their hands. They don't have time to hydrate. It like got so bad that now there is this piece of legislation on the floor. Um, it's just wild to me, right? Like that there are workers, like thousands of workers, hundreds of thousands of workers in this like supply chain and the, the folks who are the most vulnerable are literally like they can't go to the bathroom while they're working yeah. for fear of getting fired while someone else's like net worth, someone else in that value chain, his net worth is going up by $13 trillion. Like that to me is just like, it's not right. It just is. <laughs> and I don't know yeah. how to fix it. Um, but and I mean, Amazon did raise their minimum wage to $15, which when you consider where their warehouses are placed throughout the country, 
in certain states and certain jurisdictions, I'm sure that that is way higher than minimum wage in a lot of places, Um, which I mean, which is great. Like that's really important when you're talking about how much money per hour those workers that are the most vulnerable, right, working these really long hours and often very physically demanding jobs are getting. I think one of the one of the kind of challenges, though, about that is that's not something that Amazon did a long time ago out of the goodness of their heart saying like, we see this, this wage disparity, and we would love to correct it, right? It was in response to an extraordinary amount of pressure from civil society to pay their workers who again, are like the backbone of what Amazon does, at least as far as like its distribution service. If you if you lose workers, if you cannot attract them, if they get sick, Amazon's efficiency shuts down, right? So it really is in their interest to have like healthy and happy workers in their warehouses. And they eventually did get there to that that $15 an hour. But but again, that wasn't like, oh, let's just do something good. Like it didn't it didn't like come from inside. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's also like important to note, yes, the $15 minimum wage is awesome, but it can't be predicated on these like other contingencies where like you can't right again, like going back to this bathroom thing, because that, I I don't know, like I, maybe it's because I take such bad, you know, frequent bathroom breaks. Like I need to get up and move. Like, you know what I mean? Like I drink a lot of water and coffee. I don't know, but if it's $15 an hour where you can't, you like literally are too, you, yeah, you will get um, reprimanded for, for taking a bathroom break. I, I don't know if that's worth it, not worth it, but you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't feel genuine to me. I think it's also something to think about with that $15 number is, yes, they raised the minimum wage and they raised the floor, but also so many of the workers that they work with are contract workers and protections for them also don't sort of extend in the same way that they would for, you know, full-time workers that work for Amazon. Um, And there are a ton of lawsuits where employees were misclassified as independent contractors so that they wouldn't fall under whatever floor that they've set for their own employees. Going back to this sort of time of crisis where Amazon is doing really, really well as a company. And with that, I feel like, right, like the economy is struggling everywhere. Like people are struggling everywhere, but Amazon is doing good. And for me, as someone who like going back to that whole sort of like Alibaba thing, like, sure, if Amazon is going to be the backbone of America, you know, American industry and manufacturing or, you know, whatever it is. I feel like there's some sort of, sort of sense of responsibility to mm. to step up into that role, right? But recently they've like been cutting ties with independent delivery companies and that caused loss of thousands of delivery driver jobs that weren't they weren't, you know, directly employed by Amazon. Um they were through a contractor so that they could just sort of wash their hands of that. Um, And just actions like that just really make me question if they are worthy of being a company that's going to be considered 
this backbone that touches all of our lives. And if they're going to be like, did you need to do better? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and I think that the the contractor thing is important. And, you know, I'm sure that we'll bring this up so many times, because this is this is like an every industry problem. But the like, historically, there was like, there is there is literally a legal advantage to hiring a contractor versus hiring an employee. There can be really good reasons for that, right? Um, we talk a lot in school about like a business doing its core competency well and contracting out the rest. Um, I think that companies like Amazon have really taken a new a- approach to that, which is innovative and different. And we will see kind of how that works for them, right? Like you said, like they're not just trying to contract everything. Like they want to own the distribution centers and own the distribution channels and own their cloud networks, right? Like they they own everything along the way instead of just contracting it out. So they've kind of expanded their core competency. Um, but But it just really feels like something... I don't know, like from the 80s, <laughs> like like it was okay in the 80s to say, well, that's my yeah. contractor, so wow. it's not my responsibility. I think totally. in 2020, we're pretty aware that they still yeah. work for you. Like their fundamental yeah. job is like exactly. working for Amazon or contracting for Amazon or, or whatever company, right? Yeah. So at least yeah. now, civil society, public stakeholders are really thinking about like, mm, I think your responsibility extends we're at this point where like, yeah, if you're going to be like a major, the next major US company, which is not going to be auto manufacturing anymore, like it is technology companies, then you have a responsibility to like, have workers like have American workers and pay them well. And, And how are you thinking about that? Like, are you? Are you taking that responsibility? And Sarah, you and I were talking about this last week, just like in terms of our own lives. But thinking about where that word contractor comes from, Mm. right? Like you basically contract with an outside company or somebody who's independent, who's not within your company. And what that contract denotes is it's, it's just, it's basically at a very base level, it's just a commitment to one another that like you are giving this in exchange for this. And no matter what contract Amazon has, Amazon is the one with all of the power. And mm. so showing good faith in that contract, I feel like is so important. And to me, doing things like cutting off ties with you know delivery worker contracts or whatnot, like to me, that's a show of bad faith. So many things <laughs> the wrong way. Kind of to, to jump ahead, but I feel like this is like a really important time to bring in like you know, if you're, if you're someone who really cares about this, like there's obviously like personal things you can do and we'll, we'll talk about that, but there are some like structural things about being a company in the U S and like where your headquarters are or where you're building outpost offices or, or any of it that have kind of allowed Amazon to be the way it is. Right. And I think that that became pretty public over the, I don't even know what to call it, but like the competition between all of these states to put out these bids to like attract. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A bidding war. So I think it's really interesting to think about like how cities, states, the U.S. federal government has like supported Amazon running its business the way it does. On the one hand, if they're going to support Amazon and the way that they do their business, certain incentives, I think it's also, they should have not a heavier hand per se, 
but they should also be, I, I think, kind of like more responsive, holding them accountable mm. to good practices, standing on the side of workers and not just industry time and time again. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, I don't know. I mean, I've never worked in local government. Those are hard calculations to make. Amazon does bring technically a lot of jobs. It brings a lot of jobs through like their own employment and all of the businesses that like cater to Amazon. So obviously there are like contract type roles, some of which we've talked about, but there's also the restaurants, right? Like the lunch places that will be next door or um, yeah, there's just so many things that it touches and and thinking about quantifying that benefit. You, you understand yeah. why these cities were incentivized to create these super generous, basically tax breaks to get Amazon there. Yeah. I mean, I, I get why they did it, but at least to me, it, it just was kind of gross. Like it's one thing to like, hey, Washington, mm-hmm. DC or New York or whatever other other city, like we're super interested in like building here. Like, can we talk about, you know, whatever, whatever incentives your city has that can just like make it profitable for us to come in. And it's another it's another thing to like literally have those cities bidding against each other, right? Like more things we learn from business school, like that drives the benefit that the city would make to zero. Like, so basically the city that wins is going to break even by Amazon coming in. And it's like, Breaking even doesn't mean that everyone's going to be netting zero, right? Like it means that some people will benefit and some people will do worse. Right. And so I feel like that is also a tough calculation of, well, whose benefit are we considering Mm. over the loss of others? Mm -hmm. And kind of like we've seen in the Bay Area when big tech companies came in and what it did for housing prices. And sure, like it's local economies are booming, but what about the people who are there before the companies came in, they're the ones who have suffered most. And so uh, just do better. (laughs) I I know. I just, I don't know. I'm like, so I am one of those people who is like very, like, I love these like public private partnerships or the way that business in the U S has been like a huge factor in growth and job growth. And like, I don't know, like, what if instead of a bidding war, Amazon had just decided like, hey, here's a a Rust Belt city in the Midwest that like really needs jobs and has really cheap property. We're just going to move in there, right? Like, yeah, the property's already cheap. We know we can get a great deal. We probably can get a little extra as far as like tax breaks from the city. But our priority is bringing jobs and like revitalizing a city like that would be so powerful like (laughs) yeah uh yeah or like (laughs) even just I don't know offering to build housing or like to have community engagement meetings with the community that they're coming into to make sure that they're not going to be harming them like a a company of that influence yeah yeah Two hundred and eighty billion dollars in revenue. Like, there's so much you could do with that. But yeah, I don't know. I think that like that probably would be one of my takeaways. Like, if I was president of the United States, I would be like, "Hey, Amazon, we would love for you to grow. You you made it to a trillion dollars. Keep going. Like, we're not going to stop your growth, but 
we would really love for you to focus on some regions in the US that are like desperate for jobs, right? And and if you do that, we also want to make sure that you have like safe work environments, you know, low bar. Um, I just saw that there is a protest outside of Bezos's house to raise the minimum wage to $30. My perspective, I doubt that's going to happen. I'm like, so glad that there are advocates out there pushing for that. That's amazing. But like, you know, again, like if I was president, we'd be like, look, we're not going to push you to raise that wage. Respect right. the federal minimum right. wage. That's all we're asking of you. But please yeah. grow in a way that like truly benefits society, right. not just yeah. yourself, which is such a question, right? Do companies have to? Yeah. They don't have to, should yeah. they? Right? Like, so uh, we talked a lot about Amazon's impact on workers, but I feel like there are other axes too. So, mm-hmm. The environment, for example, my takeaway always is that human rights and environmental sustainability, like those things are very much in line with one another. I don't know if you heard about like that internal group of employees who um, like got together, but basically they pushed the company to like adopt measures to be carbon neutral by 2040 mm-hmm. and be on a timeline for the company to, to be run solely on renewables by 2030. To me, like this was such a demonstration of the power of employees internally. And like, it's also interesting because going back to the workers example, there were a few warehouse workers who were fired because they led organizing efforts to uh, have better and safer conditions during COVID. Um, And there are a few warehouse workers who got fired. And I think one of the leaders of like this environmental group also was outspoken about not only, you know, climate change, but also better how better conditions for warehouse workers. Um, And these leaders also were terminated. I think that sort of internal muzzling of people who want to create change um, is a signal about employees who are pushing for change. And I think it took real courage on behalf of all those employees who organized knowing what was at stake. It kind of goes to show that like, you know, companies with better practices environmentally, you know, tend to hopefully have better practices also with respect to their labor practices and and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only because the company values, you know, one thing um, over the other, or, you know, is just like a better company and that cares about all of these things, but because they tend to have an environment where they are open to change and where they -hmm. they are open to change makers, both internally and externally, helping them and pushing them to be better. Um, And I think that goes back to sort of the things that we were talking about from day one, like episode one about accountability and that willingness to change. Yeah, it it is really interesting, like just to think about how labor organizing can be so powerful. Like I've been really, honestly, just like proud of how like, you know, right now, there are a lot of conversations on social media about how the NBA players protesting playing in in support of Black Lives Matter that is actually like a labor movement. Like they're they're not protesting. They are removing their labor, um, which is worth a lot of money in the NBA, 
for a cause that they really believe in. And they're really thinking strategically about like, how they're doing that. Are they just never going to play? You know, they delayed for a couple of days, there was this strong support on behalf of owners and a lot of donations that happened. But that's just to say that I think that it's, it's just a really good example of like how powerful Mm -hmm. labor movements can be. And I was just really happy to see that there's some people out there reminding us that like, that was a labor movement. Like it's, you know, mm-hmm. we, we almost think of the NBA as like performers, but like anyone who's getting a paycheck and, and they're, wow. you know, being paid by the same group, like that's, that's a, a group of, of workers. But yeah, just to think about, I think it says a lot about an organization, not that an organization is always just going to do whatever the union says, right? Like negotiating with the union is always a challenge and that can be, you can come at that from so many sides and so many different industries. But but how are you responding to organized labor? I think really says something about your company, um, how it's respected, how workers, um, how the voice of workers at any level are incorporated um, into decision making. Um, and just to hear that it was, you know, an internal Amazon labor movement, technically, to to push towards this more sustainability, zero, net zero carbon future for Amazon. That was a really interesting point about the MBA and how, like, at the end of the day, it's a walkout and it's tied to their labor in a way that's like, I guess it's more visible or it's, it, I guess, gets attention. But I, I think it's also worth mentioning that the courage or the boldness that we are placing on things that that are more visible, like, you know, Mm. it's it's like a celebrity thing Mm -hmm. um, to remember that, like, for the people on the ground who are actual workers who are putting their livelihoods and not their livelihoods of like losing a $14 million contract or whatever, however much NBA players make, you know, they're sometimes below minimum wage jobs right because they know that they are worth more than that right like that their companies are not treating them with dignity and so they put literally everything on the line and the kind of like labor organizing and uh, that happens daily for workers on the ground i think it's like it's really important to remember just how much how much courage that really takes thanks again for listening and being a part of the effing ethical journey If you haven't already, please check out our website at www.songandsarah.com, find us on Instagram, and help us spread the word.